This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary stranger, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. George Freund, independent researcher, blogger, and the host of a very popular podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. George is standing by to talk about President Trump's war on the globalists. One of his first executive orders uh, was to withdraw the United States from the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which will form uh, the world's largest multilateral free trade deals, uh, one of the largest trading blocs. And uh, there is also a bill uh, before the United States House of Representatives to pull the United States out of the United Nations. Uh, And Trump also seems determined to withdraw from the Paris Accord on climate change. And again, many people uh, who listen to this program, for example, feel uh, that that's yet another globalist scheme to control the nation state. So we'll get into all that and more with uh, George Freund coming up in a few moments. In the meantime... Uh, let me um, give you a few programming notes. First of all, my uh, story producer, Albert, is here is not here uh, tonight or next week, so uh, no What's in the Box segment, and also no uh, live stream on YouTube uh, tonight or next week. Sorry about that. Can't be helped. Uh, we will resume that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, please uh, take a moment and get on up to the uh, website for this program, strangeplanet.ca. And that's a landing page, really. Once you're there, you can go off in a bunch of different directions. Uh, If you go to the radio section, uh, you'll find the website for this program. And uh, all the information you need about uh, uh, what's on tonight's show is there. 
so if you're wondering, you know, what's coming up, just check that out. It's right there. Uh, the uh, blue members button on the left-hand side, you want to click that and take a few moments uh, to register as a member. It's free, easy, very fast, and once you become a member, that uh, gains you access to member-only areas like the past show audio archive and the book club. So let's say you heard uh, a guest on my show and you couldn't remember the name of the book or how to order it and so forth. That's all right there. So again, strangeplanet.ca, go to the radio section, and uh, that there you'll find uh, The Conspiracy Show. That's the radio program. Also, the television show, also called The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, uh, there's a section for that, that there. Or you can simply log on to that directly for the TV show, theconspiracyshow.com. Check it out. There's an online store, mugs, T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, phone cases. For you fans of The Conspiracy Show, why not show it off and uh, buy something there from the online store? And we appreciate your support. All right. George Freund. He's a he's a rare, a rare breed uh, in that he's... He's more than just a broadcaster. He has a podcast, The Conspiracy Cafe, uh, but he's also an independent researcher. He does his own research, his own investigations. He has his own contacts in the intelligence community. And um, I highly urge you to get on up to his um, his blog and his podcast at conspiracy-cafe.com. Conspiracy-cafe.com. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, very good, Richard. It's good to hear your voice again. Uh, before we get started, let people know how they can hear your podcast. Well, we're uh, very active online at my main website, www.conspiracy-cafe.com. And I also have a backup website, because that one has been attacked from time to time, especially since Election Day. But uh, that one is the Fabergé Google Doodle, so that's my Google Blogger page where... Uh, it doesn't seem to get too much, uh, you know, action for uh, trouble, but lots of hits for interest. All right. Um, I want to. I also mentioned to people those not familiar with you, uh, and maybe some of the those that are don't really, I think, fully appreciate. See, I'm a broadcaster. I'm not an author. I don't. Uh, I'm not a researcher. But you, by and large, you do a lot of your own research. You have c- contacts out there, and uh, you know, in the world of intelligence and so forth uh and and that makes you very unique that, that that a lot of the stuff that you publish uh on on your site conspiracy cafe that's that's original uh work to you that you've done oh yes i do have research assistants too uh, they come and go but uh, generally they're uh, older gray-haired ladies and uh they're very very knowledgeable in the arts and crafts of the intelligence agencies all right um we, um, we haven't talked in a while, and obviously, uh, since the last time we spoke, a huge earthquake tremors throughout the world on many different fronts. That's, first of all, we have to talk about uh, the election of President Trump. And um, the way I sort of uh, uh, see this, and for all of us that toil in these vineyards, uh, sort of the alternative news, if you will, uh, this election has meant for us that for the first time ever, the things that we talk about on The Conspiracy Show, on Conspiracy Cafe, on Coast to Coast, all these different shows, it's, it's been laid bare that we are actually witnessing now. Uh, there's no, you know, it's not hiding behind the curtain. We are seeing the war between the globalists and 
well, uh, for lack of a better word, the, the nationalists, those who, who believe in this, that the, the, the nation state is sacrosanct. This is, this is absolutely revolutionary. Oh, to me, it's like being let loose in the candy store, finally. We were the trailblazers, and people laughed at us before because we went up against this monolithic uh, media, mainstream, you know, mind-control media, and uh, that, that's how they controlled candidates as well, is if you didn't do their bidding, they would destroy you in the, in the public eye, whether it's through the newspapers, radios, television. If you stepped out of line, you could be destroyed overnight, and you'd never come back again. And uh, Trump is you know, the only one to survive the gauntlet. He's run the gauntlet through the nomination process, through the election process, and now that he's seated in the White House, he's, uh, you know, being whipped every day, but nothing is uh, is sticking to him because, uh, you know, he's just a man of his courage and convictions, and uh, the people who follow him are as well. And we understand the dynamic. The left-right paradigm died uh, you know, we'll just give it a date to say when President Wilson started to get into the League of Nations, there was no such thing as a left-right. The left-right wing are wings on the same bird of prey that are going to tear us to pieces. We have a global force who's trying to make a world government without our knowledge or consent, and that's what I object to primarily. How can you do something for me at this nature to form, uh, you know, some sort of government that we have no input to, and if we ask any questions about we're labeled a freak or an idiot uh, for talking about conspiracy theories? But you just go to the library, uh, you know, any reasonable library, and look in the political section book, and, uh, you know, I remember once when I made the trip, I found a book called One World Ready or Not by a Japanese fellow named Kamichi Oma while I was getting my oil changed. And, well, how can you say this is a conspiracy? <laughs> the, the whole library is full of books on how they're doing it, what they're doing, and uh, we just want this in the public forum so we can debate it and make sure that we don't go down a wrong trail where we lose rights, privileges, or even employment as they bring in a lot of these free trade uh, deals, which are done in secret. And the last one that really upset me is even five years after TISA is approved, it'll be secret. Well, you know, I got German blood in me, too. And when you hear a couple of people getting together for a secret meeting, it's, you know, my hair Ex stands on end. Explain, explain TISA, George. TISA is the Trade and Services Act. And that's another one of those free trade deals that's on the agenda. Trump eliminated uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is something I'd never thought I'd see in my lifetime, really, that that, that would go down in flames so quickly and that to talk about doing things about NAFTA. But TISA is even worse. TISA is the worst of the bunch, because TISA allows an employer to bring in workers from a third-world country to work in our country at their rates of pay with their benefits and their health and safety. So you won't even have a job. You'll be outside looking through the frosty window, going, I wish I could be a slave, because at least they feed you and I'd be warm. Trump, uh, Trump's opposition to these... Uh these trade, um, you know, multilateral trade deals. Uh, you know, he's even questioned uh, America's position at the, uh, well, we'll get into the UN in a moment, but uh, in the, uh, the World Trade Organization, the WTO, he's not happy about how that works. He's not obviously uh, happy with uh, the TPP, as you mentioned. He's, he's scuttled that. You didn't, see it's, you didn't think he'd live to see that day. The fact that he is... Uh, Challenging the established uh, world order and these and and free trade and these globalist organizations, it's funny to me when you look or or, or puzzling that a lot of the people that are in opposition to him, those are the same people that you would find protesting the World Trade Organization and the G20 and uh, the the Trans Pacific Partnership. 
they should be an ally in this regard, and yet they're, they're in opposition to Trump. What, what do you make of that? Well, what I see uh, from you know, my research and from what a lot of other people have done is a lot of these uh, alleged protesters are being paid, and uh, they're part of the uh, Soros you know, conglomerate. Uh, he has many, many groups that he supports, and they all talk about you know, warm, fuzzy democracy and all this sort of thing, but by and large, there are the Color Revolution Incorporated, and he's used those to overturn governments. Uh, specifically lately in the Ukraine with the Maiden Revolution. He tried to do it in Russia, but that's like running into a brick wall. Mr. Putin knows exactly who you are and what you are, and he just sent all those NGOs packing. And, uh, you know, he's not going to allow a cover, color revolution. And we're seeing that right here before our eyes. We're living in the color revolution, but this is what it is. They're, they're hoping that somehow they can create enough pressure in the street that uh, they can overwhelm uh, Mr. Trump and, and put him out the door, that he'll have to just leave with his tail between his legs and give up, hardly likely, or, uh, you know, that people will just surround the White House and shout him down until he has to leave like uh, President Nixon or something along those lines. But that isn't going to happen either because we know, at least a lot of people know, what the fight is about. The fight is about not the left-right paradigm. The fight is about whether we're going to go into an international system where we're basically reduced to a neo-feudal society for the average person or not. And uh, the people who have decided not, uh, that's what they want, and they're not going to give up on it. And they know that mainstream corporate media is lying and deceiving them left, right, and center on, on virtually everything. They never say anything good about what President Trump has done. And there's been a lot of issues uh, like this, pipeline and the fighting that went along in the Dakotas. No corporate media has ever said, you know, he settled that. He moved it 70 miles off Indian land, so it won't go through Indian land anymore. And for safety, he's not going to use Chinese steel. He's going to use U.S. steel because it's far safer, better, and stronger, and would also maybe put some people in Pittsburgh back to work to build it with. And that's just swept under the rug. So I look at that as, well, here you had an administration like Obama. They're ready to fight with everybody, and there's violence on on this uh, line of contact between the First Nations and, you know, corporate world America. And uh, Trump's just settled it. It's over. There's nothing to fight about. We're not going to invade your land or or force it down your throat. We're going to make a better option that's safer and more viable. Well, he has certainly... uh and this is what he campaigned on, uh, you know, he's a whole new approach. Normally, uh, the, one of the reasons that government, and particularly the White House, moves at a snail's pace or a glacial pace is uh, that a lot of policies that uh, come out of the Oval Office are vetted by almost every other department. Uh, the reason is twofold. They want, they want consensus, they want everyone on the same page, but that's also a way of preventing leaks, because if everyone sort of buys in, then no one is going to necessarily leak that information. But with Trump, uh, and this sort of explains, for example, the, the rollout of the, uh, the temporary ban on, um, on immigration from those seven, seven, seven countries, why you know, it wasn't as smooth as it may have been, is yes, there is, there is a certain expediency with Trump. He says, okay, this is what we're going to do, uh, now let's do it. And, and that's why we're seeing you know, executive order after executive order and things moving at such a rapid pace. He doesn't, he's not a consensus guy necessarily. Um, he doesn't vet everything by every conceivable agency, and that's why things happen very quickly. Um, and that's why maybe the, uh, the, uh, the mainstream media is doing uh, cartwheels, because, or, or rather uh, 
they're uh, sort of apoplectic because they can't keep up with this guy. George Freund is with us from Conspiracy Cafe, a very popular podcast. We'll tell you again how you can listen. When we come back, um, uh, George, speaking of the globalists versus uh, Trump, if you will, uh, we'll talk about the American Sovereignty Restoration Act of 2017, a bill by Alabama Congressman Mike Rogers to pull the United States out of the United Nations. Very controversial. We'll be... Uh, We'll get into that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with George Freund, host of the popular podcast Conspiracy Cafe. That's conspiracy-cafe.com. All right. The American Sovereignty Restoration Act of 2017. Uh, This is a bill that would, would repeal the United Nations Participation Act of 1945. Uh, it would do some other things, but uh, uh, talk to me about this. This is this has been around a while. It seems to me, uh, didn't um, um, uh, Paul Ryan introduce a similar piece of legislation many years ago? I believe so. That's been a hot button item in the United States, especially when you look at the John Birch Society. Uh, that was their mainstay was to get out of the United Nations, and uh, the United Nations is set up like it's a uh, you know warm fuzzy feeling. Uh, something or another, but by and large it's been a wannabe world government that leans you know, extremely hard to the left and uh, would be very much like a communist state. And again, you have taxation without representation, because when they bring in these global taxes, yes, we may have appointed representatives from our government, but we don't have anybody we've directly elected, and we don't have anything near like a constitution where we have enshrined rights and freedoms like the U.S. Constitution put in there. And a lot of the segments of the United Nations are highly tyrannical regimes that may get into key posts and start making key decisions about what you can read, what you can eat, where you can go. And it's just like the European Union magnified over many fold. And, uh, you know, I've never really liked it under those circumstances when I found out what it really is as a wannabe world government. I don't think I want a world government. I believe in the economy of scale, and that's a basic fundamental of economics. You can only grow so big or get so large, and then you become unwieldy and implode or fall apart or just run very, very poorly because of the inefficiencies. You can only grow so large. And what's the problem with an independent sovereign nation state like Canada that's well-run, well-managed by and large, and, uh, you know, we just clone that to maybe some other regions or areas so they can enjoy the same benefits we have. But to just usurp our sovereignty and give it over to some board or panel of, you know, enlightened thinkers, I think would be the worst mistake we could ever make. It would just be like giving power of attorney to the first guy who comes along to look after all your financial affairs. I think you're going to be left high and dry. Well, there are about, what, 190-some members of the United Nations, and I, I haven't tallied up the numbers, but I would say, what, maybe 60 70% of these countries uh, are not democracies. They're, they're uh, thugs, they're dictators, they're uh, communist uh, countries. 
um, uh, you know, violent regimes, state sponsors of terror. Uh, I mean, this is this is the club, and uh, a club that hates, hates the United States has been historically vehemently opposed to the state of Israel's very existence. Uh, why would you want to belong to a club that hates you? Exactly. And to give, you know, I don't believe our tax dollars, and I'll speak for the Americans too, because I'm sure there's a lot of Americans that say the same thing, should be given away to extraterritorial entities or, or funds or schemes, uh, because that money was raised for our own domestic use and issue. And uh, to give away, you know, never mind millions, but billions and billions of dollars to things that are totally unaccounted for, that we don't get, uh, you know, a budget back to say where the money's gone, uh, I think is absolutely scandalous. I think it should be against the law, really, that our tax revenue should just be for our own indigenous purposes and not to be sent offshore somewhere to solve whatever problem you want to solve. Mr. Trudeau was very quick to pick up the $600 million that Mr. Trump was going to cut for not funding abortions or birth control uh, agendas overseas. Well, excuse me, you know, we have our own people here in this country that are, especially if you look at the First Nations, we have a suicide crisis, people don't have clean drinking water, you live on top of an open cesspool, <laughs> and where, where's this money going? And his $2.6 billion for global warming initiatives to send to ten-pot dictators all over the world in his first month, $2.6 billion. i got to work to pay my share of my uh, income tax and such like that, and I'm sure a lot of other people do too. And we have crumbling infrastructure here. You have to line up at the hospital and wait because there's not enough. Uh, you know, our transit uh, could use the money here in Toronto. Why is this money going offshore? And if it's going to some kind of dictator or tin pot leader who's going to recycle it into an offshore bank account, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Well, you know, George, we Canadians love the United Nations. Uh, going back to Lester Pearson, and we we love the idea. I'm not saying that you or I, but I'm saying in general, we love the idea of fighting under the the blue flag and in the blue helmets or keeping the peace. Uh, we're, we we we're in love with these international organizations in this country. So it's never going to even become part of the public discourse, uh, Canada leaving the UN. But in terms of the United States, the American Sovereignty Restoration Act, uh, again, introduced by Alabama Congressman Mike Rogers, uh, and I believe he is part of the, uh, the House uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. But, but that's not going to pass either, is it, realistically? It's going to be going up against the wall, but I think it's a first step. And like many long journeys, they have to commence with a first step to even know that uh, there's a legitimate uh, bill coming up and pressure coming up to say that uh, we're looking for change just inspires me. And I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. And I like Lester Pearson. Lester Pearson was a peacemaker. And uh, he, he was probably one of the greatest Canadians that ever lived. And we changed when we started following these wars of conquest with other nations, primarily, uh, you know, the globalist leaders of NATO countries, including the United States, to, to just strip the assets out of other countries and be the muscle for the economic hitman. And we've destabilized all these regions where the whole concept of the United Nations and Lester Pearson and being the peacekeeper was that we're trying to stop wars. We're not going out to be an imperialist power to go out and loot other countries and turn them upside down. Uh, we're supposed to stand between hostile forces and get them to see the light of day to accept that peace is the better answer 
and that cooperation is a better answer. So the United Nations and that concept of the blue helmets has gone completely out the window, and that was one of the last stages of change in the United Nations, where they stopped being peacekeepers and become peace enforcers. And Mr. Trudeau sending our troops into Africa to become peace enforcers, and they're all ready to go to work in uh, sundry nations with the French to actually get into military conflict. And we've also, you know, we've got into uh, firefights already over there, and that's kind of being swept under the rug. Uh, you know, I give him an de- honorary degree, Master of Machiavelli, because, <laughs> uh, you know, really he runs the store like the Dark Prince, but as the uh, selfie prime minister, he has the great popularity and a plume to make everyone just forget about it very, very quickly and uh, comes out as the warm, fuzzy, cuddly teddy bear. Right. But in, in terms of the United States pulling out of the UN, and, and as you admitted, it's, it, it, it'd be very difficult, but I, I guess what he wants to do is put the world on notice, and, and, uh, and uh, his uh, newly minted ambassador to the United Nations, former governor of Mississippi, Nikki Haley, has uh, sort of delivered that message to the UN. Uh, you know, all of you bad actors out there, we're going to be taking names and kicking butts. What other... Uh, kicking butt. What what else, what else do we can we expect from a Trump administration at the UN? Would, do, could we see threat of defunding certain organizations? Could we see, uh, for example, um, uh, a refusal of the United States to participate in peacekeeping operations? What what do you see realistically, Trump doing with the United Nations? Well, he's going to do it on his own. One of the things that, uh, you know, I'm working on for my next recording is, you know, he's sending ships to uh, take on the Iranian Navy because they did a, a test fire of a missile that violated an international agreement, and he told them, I warned you, and you're not going to do it again. So, you know, he set up a line to cross, uh, sort of more or less, where he, d- he doesn't need the United Nations. He's, you know, if he wants to be policeman of the world, he's going to be policeman of the world. And uh, you know, he's a very straight, matter-of-fact individual. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him, let me tell you. And he's learning the ropes on how to control such a big uh, military uh, complex like the United States, all the armed forces, the intelligence agencies. And he had to deal with a lot of people ratting out. Like there were mass walkouts in many of the uh, law enforcement organizations for people who were on contract or that they were, uh, you know, probably loyal Democrats and they don't want to soil themselves by being near Mr. Trump. And that put them under a lot of pressure so that... uh, you know, you have everybody walk out of your, your business. Well, it's kind of hard to do the show if you had to do it all by yourself and all your staff walk out. So that, And then the press just picks up and say, oh, you're not doing a good job. You're not doing a good job. But they don't report as well to say, well, you're under extremely handicapped conditions. You're, you're on your own or with a very limited skeleton staff. And uh, But as he picks up the experience and the know-how, and people have to gauge him too, like other leaders in the world, especially if they're of the despotic nature, you know, this isn't a guy you're going to muck around with. Maybe other leaders in the world, you can kick them in the shins a couple of times and get away with it, and nothing's going to happen. But I think if you try that with Mr. Trump, he's just going to deck you. Well, he's also operating with one hand tied behind his back because uh, three-quarters of his cabinet, or at least half of his cabinet, has yet to be confirmed. He doesn't have a secretary uh, uh, or a, an attorney general. Uh, he doesn't have a secretary of education. He doesn't have... Um, well, there are a number of, you know... Pick one. Secretaries yet to be confirmed. Exactly. So that's problematic. Whoever However, he picks, they're not going to confirm him. I want to talk, I want to talk about... The was hilarious. I listened to that on the morning uh, Mind Control News uh, locally in Toronto, 
and they had uh, one of the senior senators talk about uh, Mr. Sessions, and he just said, you know, he's bright, he's intelligent, he's articulate, he's, you know, he's a man of the laws, and he's this, he's that, but we can't use him. And probably the big reason is because he's not a globalist, and he may be honest. Right, right. So they tried to att- uh, they attempted to taint session with the uh, the racist card. And here's a man who fought very hard to have his state uh, desegregate, uh, led the charge in that regard, also led the first successful uh, indictment of a, uh, a, a the head of the Klan in his state, which resulted in the death penalty. He pushed for the death penalty for this horrible white supremacist. Uh, everybody that has worked with him. They had to go back 30 years when some off-the-cuff comment that may or may not have been made, and that was all they had on him. So now all of a sudden he's a, he's a racist. I want to talk to you, though, about um, uh, the United States and, and Russia. Uh, recently, uh, Trump, just prior to the Super Bowl on, a, on, a, on Fox News, being interviewed by Bill O'Reilly, was asked um, why he respects uh, Putin. And, um, again, this is another head-scratcher for me. Uh, you know, years ago, the left, uh, you know, was in love with the Soviet Union. Joe Stalin, the, one of the worst mass murderers in history, was fondly regarded as Uncle Joe, even in the Oval Office. Uh, and and uh, now here, and Kennedy, of course, certainly tried to reach out with Khrushchev. They, the two of those uh, the, the, those uh, leaders worked very hard to, to uh, construct back channels so they could talk to each other away from the military-industrial complex, and, and perhaps that was responsible for averting war more than anything. And now here we have Trump reaching out uh, to Putin, who is admittedly a thug, trying to de-escalate things, and now the, suddenly the left is piling on him for that. Again, this is something that they should have common ground. That just shows you that the left-right paradigm doesn't work. Putin isn't a globalist, and uh, he did have a, a, a group of, you know, advisors go into like what he can do to fix his economy and one of the winners in the decision was to come up with a a non-fiat currency money system to get away from the typical central banks that get you invaded and regime changed if you don't go along and uh, he went to the top of the list with that being the best solution or one of the most viable solutions so he doesn't play the game in the global court where previous regimes in the soviet union days were ahead hook, line, and sinker involved with, uh, you know, establishing a a one-world leftist government of some sort. And uh, Putin just doesn't do that. He's a master strategist. You know, he's the, uh, you know, the top-notch colonel who had to earn his stripes to get through the military, uh, to get into the KGB in Russia. He's a master tactician. He's got guts. He's a gambler. He's probably one of the most dynamic leaders of, uh, you know, the last 50, 60 years. Well, I would go back further than that. I think you could make an argument Putin is the greatest Russian leader since Peter the Great. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a thug. That doesn't mean that he's not capable of poisoning his opposition. But that's what you get over there. That's the best kind of leader. I mean, that's about the best you can hope for uh, in that sort of gangster capitalist society. However, uh, we'll come back and talk some more. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with George Freund, an independent researcher, investigator, uh, very prolific, and uh, you can hear his podcast at conspiracy-cafe.com. Uh, when, when are new ones posted, George? Oh, as often as I can get at it. So I used about once a week, but, uh, you know, I'm also restoring my archives from that channel because, uh, you know, when they had some business difficulties, they lost a website and many things that were online were gone. So I ended up with the master hard drive and I'm going through them and, you know, it's just like doing it from scratch again to find, because I like to put up links. I just don't like to say something and say, okay, this is what I say. No, this is what I say and this is the evidence I have that backs up what I say. And uh, so that way that, you you know, you can check it for yourself. Because the most important thing is something my grandfather taught me when I was a small boy. There's rules like you don't go away with strangers and things like that. But he had a, a, a rule that was just as important. Don't ever let anybody else do your thinking for you. That was like fundamental and uh that's something we just do all the time as we let other people we listen to the talking points on tv or in the news and we let other people do our thinking and carry us away and i just okay you said that that's fine now i'm going to actually research this and find out what's the other side got to say and balance the two and put them to a stress test to see which one floats and which one sinks and uh, that's very very important so if you're a parent out there that's something you should tell your children is don't, you know, teach them to think for themselves. Don't ever follow the crowd or the mob or something like that. Do analysis of, of issues and problems and figure it out. And it's a good learning exercise for you on how to think. Uh, in, in addition to the, uh, the podcast, uh, there's also uh, tons of articles uh, that you post uh, on your blog at Conspiracy Cafe. And I want to talk to you about what you say is the only prediction that really matters for 2017, and that's the global debt collapse you say will begin in 2017, uh, followed by the rise of fascist totalitarian government. All right, so the, uh, the debt collapse. Uh, because the United States, um, they, uh, they are able to basically you know, print the money and raise the debt ceiling uh, seemingly um, in, you know, uh, forever, uh, and continually c- kick the can down the road. Why do you believe 2017 will be any different uh, than any other year? Uh, why the debt collapse happens this year? Why do you, why do you believe so? I would go that year or this year because they want to get Trump. And if there's anything the great unwashed wouldn't accept or understand is the fact that it didn't matter how many presidents ran it up or got it started, but... Trump was the captain of the ship when we hit the rocks, and they'll blame it on him. Uh, One thing we have that works in our favor is there's something that we don't understand, even a lot of people that are very well 
trained and inured into economics and financial planning and policies is the power of the algorithm, but also in association with the supercomputer, which is taking things to a potential that you know we could never even fantasize about a few years ago. And what was systematic seeming to be destruction may not work out the way we would anticipate because the supercomputers can use the algorithms to a point where we can take the debt to levels that would just absolutely frighten people a few years back and uh, you know maybe get it to survive a little longer but we can't live on borrowed money and this is something sooner or later we have to hit the wall we had a miracle in the last financial crisis where we didn't go over the cliff and uh, you know thank god for that some people would like to see a, a change or what they call a global reset and they've been planning for this but uh, that means misery for millions and millions of people who are woefully unprepared to deal with this so if they lost their livelihood or even for people who are well established if you didn't have anything to back up your paper dollars or maybe your real estate or your stocks and uh, you, you don't know much about hunting and gathering you could be in a lot of trouble where you know you're almost facing starvation you're saying someone within what the US Federal Reserve System is going to like Janet Yellen is going to purposely tank the US economy how would they do that that was one of the plans to uh, that they want to cause a financial crisis on Trump's watch and that uh, that could come very very easily the Chinese are dumping American treasuries at record paces uh, admittedly you know Tens of billions of dollars doesn't sound uh, too much against trillions of dollars, but they're starting to head for the exit. And uh, one of the things with the paper dollars is they're just checks. They're a promise to pay. And when the promise wears out, for whatever reason, the, the whole system can c come apart within 24 hours and right. sail around the world. We have okay. Deutsche Bank on the ropes. George, i got to cut in here. Yeah, sure. Italian banks in trouble as well. Listen, we'll come back and pick this up on the other side. George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. We are back with George Freund, conspiracy-cafe.com. That's the, uh, the podcast, and you can also access his blog there, read all his articles. This is... Uh, much of it, original research and uh, original stories uh, woven out of uh, a whole cloth, and uh, that makes George a very unique individual, uh, to be sure. Uh, we were talking about what you see as the inevitable collapse, the debt collapse. Uh, you, th you believe 2017 could be the year. And uh, um, the United States, of course, remains the, um, the, you know, the, the reserve currency of the world. Um, if for example, China, which holds a great deal of debt, Saudi Arabia holds a lot of debt, uh, wouldn't they be, though, shooting themselves in the foot uh, if they were to um, precipitate this collapse? Because, I mean, China owns a lot of real estate and some primo locations. They own a lot of downtown Manhattan. The same with the Saudi Arabians. Uh, they have as much to lose as, as, as the U.S., uh, if if there's a collapse, so does the world. I mean, it's the reserve currency. If the U.S. were to suddenly default, uh, and I can't see that happening, I mean, we'd all go down. Yes, 
in in a very short order and that's something that uh you know you prepare for the worst and you hope for the best and i do hope for the best but i try to be prepared for the worst as well because if something comes along that changes this dynamic once and for all and a lot of people have been expecting this for a long 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 time that we're going to have this and we've kicked the can down the road we've put it off time and time and time again but it's like something my grandfather told me too because he went through the uh, 29 issue and the depression the biggest mistake we made he said was that we thought it couldn't happen to us and it did and then after it happened it was pretty much too late but after he learned his lesson he always had a garden he always had a cold storage room with food in it and he always had some sort of uh, finances to back himself up with so that you never faced the day when, you know, even if it's a temporary thing, could you go 30 days without money that the banks are shut down until they establish something else? That happened uh, when an Italian bank uh, went under or had to do one of those uh, bank holidays for 30 days. There was a doctor in Italy had 20 euros in her pocket, and that's it because it was her bank that went down. And you had to live on 20 euros for a month. And you never th- you thought every day is going to be rosy, and every day you go to that machine or you see the teller that something's going to come out. Uh, we're taking liberties there. I always recommend to people to be the bank of yourself. Have some resources on hand so that you don't have to get into a big lineup screaming and yelling with people like what happened in Greece, that you've got uh, a few of your drachma somewhere put away that you can get by, or better yet, have some, you know the things you can buy with cash or be good barter items. Argentina went through hell uh, many times and is still going through hell to a degree with uh, financial pressure. And economic warfare is a tool that's used. It can happen tomorrow. Uh, Trump is getting uh, pretty tough with China and vice versa. And I would always uh, suggest that both parties kind of, you know, think about what they're getting into before they get in too far. And uh, But China's nuclear weapon in finances would be to dump the U.S. economy as opposed to go to physical war. And uh, that could leave us on the short end of the stick. Uh, Do you see um, a new reserve currency emerging within the next three, five, seven years with the Chinese yuan, maybe based on gold? That would be a better option. I'd like to see some currencies that are backed on gold so that at least when you have uh, a paper reserve, you have something that's got some substance. But uh, what I see is they're trying to ultimately make a world currency. And when they create chaos, they always have the solution. It's more world government or something that leads that way. So to have an international reserve currency that turns into a global currency and a global central bank would be their panacea to outflank all the nations, including the United States. So they can't have an independent foreign policy or independent monetary policy. And uh, that's going to hurt a lot of people if they ever pull that off because I would say 99.9% of the people are woefully unprepared to deal with uh, any type of tragedy like that, because it would be a tragedy and uh, would suffer greatly. And, uh, you know, but many countries where things have been tough and you've seen, you know, regime changes or financial collapses, people are a little more in tune to be, you know, having the ear to the railroad tracks to listen to that train coming and, uh, and get prepared when it does sound like it is coming. And uh, that's the only thing we can do as uh, individuals is just be prepared so that if it does come, uh, we're not going to be hungry right away. Well, well, Trump's strategy seems to be to to grow the economy. The only way to, exactly. to, to get out of the debt deficit and the debt, which is nearing 20 trillion, the only way is to grow and to inflate out of that. that. 
Uh, and that would be obviously with uh, part of the uh, the rationale behind these massive tax cuts. Also, uh, inversion, allowing these corporations who have money trillions of dollars offshore to come back and reinvest, bring jobs back, uh, increase tax revenues. Will it work? Can you bring those jobs back in this age of robotics? Oh, yes, definitely. Because ultimately someone's got to work at the uh, robotics as well and the computer programming. You might not be turning a screw or, or uh, you know, operating on an assembly line exactly as in days past, but you have to control the infrastructure of the plant that does that, and good jobs can come back. One of the biggest places where good jobs can come back is in the oil patch. They took a really bad hit with the price of oil falling. And, uh, you know, same here in Canada that just devastated Alberta. And that can be restored to put the middle. The middle class is the economic engine of the world, whether, you know, you want to like it or not. And to take away jobs from the middle class slowly implodes us. To bring them back, to uh, have people, uh, you know, performing reasonable work for reasonable pay and benefits is going to keep us going. Not minimum wage jobs. They always just talk about, well, they created jobs. Well, it'd be just like, okay, you, 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 a car is a car. One guy's got a Rolls Royce and I got an old Lada from the 70s. They're not the same. They may both be cars, but they're not the same. So you can't trade one for another. And to lose good-paying, high-value high jobs for garbage is uh, you know, not something to be proud of. And I think Trump's going to turn that around. And I think in time, when you see the economic engine of the United States starting up again and people really getting put back to work, it's just going to be, you know, get out of the way. Because nothing's going to stop that. It, it, there's no way to slow it down. Even us in Canada and in Mexico, we'll, we'll just get sucked up by the wind and be able to keep going if the economic powerhouse is restored in the United States. Might not be the best decision for a lot of billionaires. Maybe they won't be able to skim as much money as they used to under their old strategies. But the world has to be a place where we share dynamics, we share resources, we share money, and uh, for the benefit of all. And we have to look at the long-term path of least resistance getting to somewhere, as opposed to they always take the short-term path, a dog following its tail, I get an advantage here, I collapse this city or this place or that company. But you don't look at the long-term effects of what that's going to mean. And... Uh, you know, that's just insane, really. A slow, stable, moderate growth for everyone is quite possible. The billionaires will still be billionaires, but the uh, middle class will be there, and there'll be a potential for people who aren't in the system, who may be unemployed or unemployable, to have some sort of potential to get into uh, something that's going to allow you to have a roof over your head and raise your children. Well, that, that, that is the problem here in Canada, as far as I can see. It's, it, the problem is we, we have too many billionaires. We don't have enough. Uh, and how are we going to compete with the United States when we have a carbon tax and cap and trade uh, and uh, given their um, their plan to drastically lower uh, their corporate tax rate somewhere between 20 and 15 percent um, we're not going to be able to compete well that can be changed very very quickly the carbon tax and and this whole cap and trade thing is one of the best looting of the treasuries and people's pocket scheme that ever came out. I think it was Peter Worthington and whatever son he's at Edmonton or Calgary had a great article on they use the math that they provide. And because we have so many forests, uh, even using their data about climate change and stuff, we're, we're not a carbon sinkhole. We shouldn't be paying anything because we're actually, we have so much forests. And that, he was just looking at the forests, not at anything else that it's ridiculous to take any money off of us. We're, we're, we're the generators of oxygen. 
we're not the uh, the burden of of the CO2. If there's any truth to that at all, I have a diagram uh, that goes back to 2500 BC with the blog that talks about Trump getting uh, out of the carbon uh, initiatives from the White House website. And it's just very, very clear. Like, you're looking at mountains forming on this graph, going up and down, up and down, always around a volcano going off somewhere. I think they spew up quite a bit of volcano, of carbon uh, gas and many other oh, things. Oh, uh, if you get something like Mount Etna uh, blowing, after three days, that will basically undo any attempts by mankind to ameliorate our carbon uh, dioxide uh, contributions for the last four years. Three days of a spewing volcano undoes four years. It's like shoveling sand against the tide, George. Exactly. But when it comes to money, they're shoveling a lot of money places that we have no accountability for. And I think that, and the, the other thing is, if they had their master strategy to reduce temperature or put up a temperature a half a degree or one degree, which really is, you know, almost a statistical anomaly, nothing's going to change except the fact our, we're going to be looted from our pockets. I think the reason they brought this out from a conspiratorial edge is it's the, they can't tell the people that we're going bankrupt and we can't make our payments. So we invent this and we say, okay, well, you've got to pay this tax here to save our lives because we're all going to die if you don't. And uh, so people will grudgingly pay it, and it's just the latch-dist effort to keep the boat afloat. But uh, I think there's, it's more nefarious than that, as I think a lot of very wealthy people are looting that uh, revenue and taking it away to places that we may never find because there's so many offshore bank accounts all over the place. Do you think Trump, President Trump has the, the will to actually follow through and pull out of the Paris Climate Accord? Yes. I think that'd be the best move he could make. That is going to, I mean, the protests are going to rain down on him. If it could get any worse, it will. See, he, I think he's prepared to go all the way, and uh, that's just part and parcel of it. Part of it is a lot of people believe the lies that have been generated to us. We have probably been one of the most lied-to uh, generations, and, you know, even a few generations before us even, that have ever existed. Uh, you know, like one WikiLeaks that came out that will probably never make the light of day in corporate media was that the moon landing was a fake. And then I find something else from one of my top research assistants that, you know, Trump's science advisor has been saying the same thing. And, uh, you know, he's a Yale professor saying that they faked it. Well, this is... Wait a second. I gotta, we only have a couple minutes here, but um, and we'll have to have you back on uh, soon and, and, and go into that WikiLeaks document. Which WikiLeaks document pointed to the moon landing being a hoax? Well, that was one that just came out. I have it on my website on the front page. And uh, they just came out with documentation that there's communications and uh, material going back. The steep, uh, I have the Kubrick film, you know, attached there. WikiLeaks documents reveal Apollo program was a fraud. Moon landings never happened. If you ever look at any of the uh, evidence, and that's what I'm talking about, that's like Christ said, you know, I give you eyes, but you will not see. And uh, when you look at Kubrick's film, he describes how they do the back sets on movie stages. And when you look at all the landings on the moon, once you learn the trick on what's the background and what's the stage that you're filming in the front, you can see the lines. And even the picture I have uh, on the front of the blog, you can see very clearly the dark gray of a hill. That's the backdrop, and in the front is the stage. The fact there's so many scientific principles that are uh, just 
defied by what happened on the moon because of the difference in gravity and uh, the fact that there's a wind blowing the flag. You know, they're just going like, hey, wait a minute, you know, what what gives here? The other one that's funny that I joke about all the time, too, is when you see Neil Armstrong going down to jump and be the first man on the moon. Well, who's got the camera down there to take the picture? Isn't he the first guy on the moon? Oh, that was attached to the the, the lunar landing. Yeah. But uh, when you look at Kubrick's film and you see the background lights coming through the screen, like supposed to, you know, there's no stars uh, to see. Uh, it's just this black background. It's it's brilliant. It's I gotta, absolutely brilliant. i got to cut it there. We are out of time, but I'm going to jump on your blog and read that because this is a, a new one, the WikiLeaks. I mean, we've talked a lot about lunar landing hoaxes on the program, but listen, in the meantime, George, always a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, bless you. Conspiracy-cafe.com. All right. Uh, my thanks to George Freund. And uh, just a reminder, uh, coming up in the next hour, actress, author, Marina Anderson... Uh, the ex-wife of uh, the late David Carradine, of course, known to many of you for his uh, work in movies like Kill Bill and, of course, uh, the long-running television series that actually had two incarnations, Kung Fu and Kung Fu The Legend Continues. Actress Marina Anderson will be along shortly. Uh, Don't forget to get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and also check out theconspiracyshow.com. That's the website for the TV show. Uh, Please say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. As always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. And uh, congratulations to Super Bowl 51 champs, the New England Patriots. Interesting, uh, my intern, Ryan White, was uh, telling me that the uh, pollsters said that the uh, Falcons had a 91.6% chance of winning the Super Bowl. (laughs) See, they just can't get it right. All right. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy. To all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. And uh, hello to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, the podcast at iTunes, TuneIn.com, Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com. Hi to uh, you taking the show with you on our mobile, uh, on your mobile device uh, through the Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app, both free downloads. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Actress, author Marina Anderson is standing by. Uh, Marina has appeared uh, recently in episodes of the TV series Bones. Uh, She was also, of course, married to the late actor David Carradine, and her memoir about her relationship and marriage to the star of Kung Fu and Kill Bill was chronicled in her book David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. And uh, she'll be here to share, uh, well, some details about that relationship as well as a lifetime of paranormal encounters and experiences. Uh, 
Uh, just a programming note, uh, there is no live stream on YouTube uh, tonight or next week. Albert, uh, my story producer, uh, he runs the Hangouts on air. He's off for the next two weeks, but we will resume the YouTube stream in two weeks' time. Uh, but please take a moment and subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, next week on the program, Scott Creighton, the host of the Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com. AboveTopSecret.com will be my guest, and uh, his new book is The Great Pyramid Hoax, The Conspiracy to Conceal the True History of Ancient Egypt. And uh, Scott's research in the book really lays waste to the claim that the Great Pyramid of Giza was built during the Fourth Dynasty of Egypt, around 2050 BCE. Uh, also joining us, paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, that's next time on The Conspiracy Show. Marina Anderson is a noted actress, voiceover artist, writer, producer, a makeup artist, acting coach, personal manager, career consultant... Uh, she's ventured in practically every facet of the entertainment industry in front of and behind the camera. Uh, she's been cast as the co-lead in an episode of Unsolved for NBC Universal, as well as appearances, as I mentioned, on Bones, The Mentalist, Dexter, L.A. Uh, Law, sorry, Law and Order, <laughs> not L.A. Law, Law and Order, uh, Desperate Housewives, uh, supporting and guest star roles on Sex and Mrs. X opposite Linda Hamilton, Forever Night, Dracula, the series, uh, recurring guests, uh, a guest role on Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, opposite, of course, David Carradine, uh, Largo Winch, and CBC's highly rated series, Scales of Justice. Many other TV appearances include Seinfeld, Seinfeld Big Time Rush, Jane by Design, Parenthood, Ghost Whisperer, Side, or, side of, uh, Order of Life, 12 Miles of Bad Road, and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. She was singly responsible via her efforts as personal manager and publicist for resurrecting the career of the late actor David Carradine, her former husband, which culminated with his being cast in Quentin Tarantino's film Kill Bill. It was Marina who befriended and introduced Tarantino to Carradine, which ultimately led to his being cast in the film. During their six years together, her life and career with Carradine has been highly, was highly publicized worldwide. It was publicly acknowledged that Marina was the sole motivating factor for his sobriety after many years of alcohol abuse. Marina combined her skills to rebuild his career as well as pursuing her own. All is recounted in her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado, which uh, was being, is being developed as a film. Originally published in 2010, the book takes readers through Anderson's very private journey and beyond her publicized marriage and divorce to Carradine, endorsed by Dr. Drew Pinsky, and a, a newer or an updated version is also available worldwide. Marina Anderson, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you, Richard. Oh, my God, I'm tired listening to that. I, like, I went through all that. Oh, God, now I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you have, uh, you have uh, lived several lives. I have, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Reincarnated all in one. By the way, I introduced David to Quentin Tarantino in Toronto at the Bistro 990, Upstairs during um, the first uh, Toronto Film Festival, we celebrated together. Ah, well, and yes, uh, so that's where he originally met uh, Quentin. And I, I didn't know this about you. Maybe I did, and I had forgotten. But you're a dual citizen. You're you're Canadian. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, yes, I love Toronto. I miss it. I, my very dear dear friends there, and uh, yeah, 
one of these days I'm going to move back. <laughs> and uh, we, you and I met because my uh, my TV partner Jalal Murai, yes. uh, was good friends with with David Carradine. Right, right. And that's how I met Jalal. Wow. So it all comes full circle. Yes. <laughs> um, David uh, died 2009, June 2009, right. Bangkok. Uh, a horrible uh, ending to um, a storied life. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, I mean, the official cause of death was um, uh, um, autoerotic asphyxia. Right. And uh, you, ne- you never believed that for a moment. There were a couple no. of autopsies. You, you still believe to this day that, that David, who was 72 at the time, was murdered. Uh, I, yeah, I, I definitely believe he was murdered. Um, what I did in the book, um, I felt there was kind of an obligation to, um, uh, I didn't think there was a, a big injustice done to David in the press. Um, in spite of the fact we had a very uh, not-so-pleasant divorce, uh, ended up in court. Um, <clears throat> I still had great love for the man, and um, I heard through the grapevine that he still um, felt very much the same about me. So... But, you know, things didn't work out. So when this hit the press, I went, you know, there's just something very wrong about this whole picture because I didn't believe he would be by himself. And autoerotica is by oneself. So I didn't believe that at all. And I didn't believe it was accidental. So um, what I decided to do was to investigate it myself. And so um, I was making calls and doing some groundwork and, um, it was really difficult to to, um, to do emotionally, um, to separate it out where I could look at it objectively. You know, I literally just said, well, how did you deal with it? Well, I had a roll of toilet paper literally on my desk because I went through too many boxes of Kleenex and, you know, and going through it and autopsy pictures. I mean, it was just really hard to say the least. Um, so with the information that I got, um, it just reinforced my feeling that um, I, I don't believe it was uh, – accidental or by himself and 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 his other close friends and other people he's worked with too they they all felt the same um so um it's very unfortunate but but it has not been solved and um i was told that they actually closed the file in thailand and um and so the um surveillance tape will never surface and uh it's uh, very unfortunate but um there are various theories that uh, came to light when I was researching this, and people would tell me their encounters and stories, and I went, whoa, that's interesting. Whoa, really? And it, each one sent me off in a different direction. So um, I could say it's fascinating to to the reader. To me, it was very disturbing. Now I'm far enough removed from it that I, I can talk to you about it without kind of like having a meltdown. But, um, yeah, it, um, that's why it's being developed into a film, because it is one of those... Uh, who done it? Sort of um, situations, right? Marilyn Monroe and JFK and sure um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and you, you suspect because David was known to carry a lot of cash uh, on his person, and also he had a, a penchant for expensive watches that would get flashed around. So perhaps that may have been the motive. I, you know what? That's what I thought at first, and then I found out that um, supposedly there wasn't anything stolen. So that sent me into another direction. I go, well, if, if it wasn't cash, if it wasn't theft, what was it? So um, that's where it was interesting how you feel you're guided. Um, like when I put out the universe, where I would, like, you know, t- 
talk to David out there and go, what on F happened to you? And and then, say, a week later, I would run into somebody who said, oh, God, you know, a month before he passed away, I ran into him, and this friend of mine, uh, you know, worked in a restaurant, and and um, David walked in with, and I, this is in the book, this is nothing I'm telling out of you know, context or anything. Um, and he, David was in there with six young Asian girls. Um, what? I'm going, what? Are you kidding me? And said, yeah, he, my friend waited on him, and he was in a really bad mood. He didn't even pit tip, and I went, God, for David not to tip. He was always a very generous tipper. What, what on earth was going on? And this is like a month or two before he went to Thailand. Well, the, the restaurant was located in Chatsworth. Chatsworth is what we affectionately call the porn capital of Southern California. Mm. So you go, whoa, and, and then he, he's ended up in Thailand. It's like, God, okay, so it kind of makes you wonder. And then somebody else told me something else, and then I get an email from a total stranger in Thailand saying that they had a kind of a series of uh, like uh, serial killers and, and murders out there, and and he sent me a picture of one of the, the unfortunate victims, and he kind of looked like David. So you go, that's in another direction. So it, it was really weird. Um, all these things kept popping up. Um, I, I should consult with someone to, to channel David and, and really tell me what happened. I mean, I do have a lot of psychics that I, I did consult. Sure. And um, one of them was Sloan Bella, by the way, who um, kind of making an introduction to you via email. Right, right. And yes. I had... Um, an autograph uh, signing, and um, she came in later. But when I was in uh, the middle of signing some autographs, I kind of felt like something brushed against my cheek, but there was no door open or anything. And, and I was kind of, oh, okay, well, maybe it was just whatever, you know, sensitivity. And so um, later in the evening, she sent me the email, and she goes, no, David was standing by you, and he was touching your cheek. But I didn't mention having that feeling to her. She saw him standing by me. Um, and so she um, came through with, you know, some information about the circumstances, and she, too, um, agreed that, you know, he wasn't by himself. You, you've had readings with uh, with uh, Jonathan, John Edward as well. Yes. Um, did you get it? Uh, what happened there? Was, did David Carradine come up at all? Or? Well, that was before David passed away. That was actually three days after we separated, after David moved out. And I didn't want to tell the producers because I didn't want to lose the reading because it was for his TV show. Um, but um, what John told me is he said, this reading was meant for you. Um, it's kind of a long story, but I did recount it in the book, how that came about, because um, I needed answers. I needed guidance. And my dad came through for me. But in the reading, no one came through for David. And that, he was kind of ticked off about that. But John said, no, this reading was for you. And he said, um, you will not be getting back together. He didn't say this in the reading, but he told me afterwards. And he knew, walking in the house, that we had separated. And he, he called the producer and said, I'm going through with this anyway, because this is um, very important to this woman. So he was kind enough to do that. And um, the things that he said was, I had a whole checklist of what he said to me that happened in the, over the next two, three years. And um, one of it was my visit to Toronto to reclaim my territory. And I went to Mississauga to revisit the house that David and I lived in. Ah. And um, it it, it was the house evidently had been totally torn down and a new house was there. And I thought, dang, I can't go into that old house. 
And I saw this man in the backyard, like a little golf club. So I got out of the taxi, went up the side of the house, and I introduced myself. And he goes, oh, wow, that's so interesting. He said, you know, we kept the fence that David knocked, knocked, um, broke. And he showed me, and David, in a drunken rage, kicked oh, this dear. fence and broke the fence. Marina, I've got to jump in here. We're going to take a time out. We'll be right back. Stay where yeah. you are. Marina <laughs> Anderson. David Carradine, the life of my, the eye of my tornado. I'm back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Actor Marina Anderson is with us, author, the uh, former wife of the late actor David Carradine. Uh, She's been uh, cast as the co-lead in an episode of Unsolved for NBC Universal and also appeared in Bones, uh, The Mentalist, Law and Order, Desperate Housewives, uh, Sex and Mrs. X, opposite Linda Hamilton, Forever Night, Dracula, the series, uh, oh my gosh, a Ghost Whisper, on and on it goes, Seinfeld, Big Time Rush. Uh, we've been talking about her uh, her relationship with uh, David Carradine. Now, you met in Toronto on, um, no, you, 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 your, your romance started, I guess, in Toronto uh, on the set of Kung Fu, uh, The Legend Continues, which was sort of the late 90s, right? Right, right. Actually, we, we met in the 70s originally. Right. And uh, and the, 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 what it really took place, it really took off, off flight was, uh, yeah, in, uh, in the 90s when I did his show. And, uh, I mean, obviously uh, anyone who reads the book, you know, n- knows what a difficult, difficult relationship that was for you. I mean, you were, you were abused, sexually abused by a relative. Right, uh, and then you find yourself in a in an abusive relationship with with uh, with David. Right. Um, uh, I mean, Doctor Drew helped with that. <laughs> Doctor Drew, yeah. I mean, how are you now? I mean, you, this you you actually had to be treated for post traumatic stress disorder as a result. Yeah, uh, th- that's uh, kind of still with me. Um, it hits now and then, um, but much much better. Um, the book. Actually, Dr. Drew um, was an epiphany for me, my session with him, which is verbatim in the book at the whole chapter. That really uh, helped get closure, uh, bless his heart. Um, and uh, I was, you know, really on the major mend from that point. And finishing the book and getting it out 
really also helped too. It was very cathartic, and part of my mission was to help other people um, who have gone through similar experiences and to um, learn what I went through and how I got through it and things that I didn't deal with very well. And I'm really um, out there uh, in the raw, so to speak. Um, so it was very intense, and um, but I'm doing good. I am, yeah, I'm doing good. Does, Ma- major difference. <laughs> does one ever sort of fully close that chapter? I mean, you you know, you try to uh, investigate uh, the murder and bring some closure to that on on, on David's behalf and and his fans, and also for yourself. Uh, but the other, the rest of it, the uh, the other stuff that you had to put up with, and his demons battling uh, his demons and helping him battle his demons. Does one ever, as a survivor, ever close that chapter? That's a really good question. Uh, most of the time, I feel I have. But um, sometimes that uh, door kind of uh, kicks open a little bit, and I have to kind of circle back around and uh, get control over over it again emotionally. So I, I think it's still, um, for, for myself anyway, an, an ongoing process um, that, you know, I feel like I've grown leaps and bounds um, and gotten much healthier. In fact, that was part of the problem is I was getting help and healthier and he didn't want to. He wanted to stay with the demons, and that's pretty much what uh, you know ripped the marriage apart. So, um, so in that sense, um, uh, I'm I'm really proud of myself what I've I've managed to accomplish um, in in spite of all that. But um, yeah, sometimes that uh, it does uh, rear its uh, little creepy little head. <laughs> and obviously, there were some 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 wonderful times in that relationship. One of the yeah. things I, I I didn't know. I mean, Keith Carradine uh, um, in the mid '70s had a hit, "I'm Easy." Mm-hmm. Um, but David was quite an accomplished. I mean, he probably could have made it just as a musician. He was so talented. I oh my God, talk about. Uh, um, it was a genius. I consider David a genius. It wasn't anything he couldn't do. He directed, he produced, he wrote music, he wrote music scores for movies. His, um, you know, he could write lyrics, you know, um, anywhere, half asleep, he could write lyrics. Um, and he was just smart, brilliant mind. Um, and, uh, you know, those um, things that he couldn't turn off and uh, preferences that... Um, damage that he had when he was younger uh, didn't get fixed, and I thought I could help fix it. But that was uh, an undertaking that I uh, learned that you can't do for someone. It's like with the alcohol. Um, They say, oh, how did you get him off the alcohol? I didn't. I was the catalyst. I was part of the um, incentive for him to want to get off of alcohol, which he finally did for the six years we were together. He went back on the alcohol about three months after we separated. So, um, so I don't take credit for getting him off the alcohol. I, I, because he was in love with me. He wanted to get back in track with his career. He knew I could help with that. He loved me. He wanted to do right by me, and he really gave it his all for those six years. But I think there was a point where he felt that he um, couldn't stay on that track, and he fell back. And that's when everything just kind of exploded. How did uh, how have David Carradine's fans reacted to your book? 
uh, David Carradine, mm-hmm. the eye of my tornado, because, you know, some perceive it as, uh, and this was not your intention, obviously. I mean, you, this was your life. You, you're in, mm-hmm. you own it. You, you certainly uh, have every right to talk about what happened to you. You were victimized. Right. Um, but how do the fans, how do the, his fans react? Do they think that, did they see it as a, uh, that you, an attempt to trash him or how do they perceive it? Most of the fans I have had wonderful response. Um, people that weren't fans that just read the book uh, commended me for having the courage to write about everything. Because mind you, I'm out there with my stuff too and my vulnerabilities. It wasn't. It's not a trash book. My my purpose is to talk about sexual deviance, incest, all those really touchy subjects that people don't want to deal with. They don't want to talk about it. They want to put it back in the closet, sweep it under the rug. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because that's what I went through, and that's part of my healing. I can help other people. Um, there are uh, a few uh, that totally tried to rip me apart and discredit me. I'm a gold digger. I'm this. I mean, just horrible, horrible things. And I'm still upset at this book website that won't remove it, probably because they get more, you know, controversy. They think they're going to sell more books. But it really was character defamation to me. And it was extremely upsetting and I had to learn to um, deal with that and the post-traumatic stress and all that, that it kind of flared up. But um, so there were a few, and, and who knows if they were friends or something and they just wanted to take me down or try to take me down, but it didn't work. And um, um, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but um, you don't have to try and, you know, totally cream somebody into the ground and, and it was just uncalled for, you know, that they went over the line. So, but for 95%, 98% of the people, no, I, I got some really nice support and encouragement. And that was really nice. And people that I've actually helped with similar uh, problems. And, um, and that, that was part, that's the reason why I wrote the book is to help other people. And I did mission accomplished and I'm still out there trying to empower other people. And what is the status of the, uh, the the book being turned into a movie? That's, you know, that's such a long process. Um, you know, I was still working on trying to get a script done and, and, you know, it's that whole thing. So, I you know, working on it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, I know how these things go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it can be an eternity. Yes, exactly. So, um, so well, just, you know. Uh, kind of pacing myself with it and um, putting it out there and and um, taking meetings and you know the 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 schlep. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, in the meantime, I mean, you you um, you continue to uh, to act. You were uh, I mentioned earlier. You re- yes. recently were in in the, the series uh, Bones and uh, Unsolved for NBC and uh, just all those other ones. But you know what? I, there's a, a new indie film out called The Red Maple Leaf. Ah, with um, James Con, one of my favorite yes. actors. Yes, um, I have a couple scenes in there. Um, one is opposite Michael Pere. Mm-hmm. Michael Pere. Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson stars in it. Um, Mia Servino, Paul Servino, James Kahn, bless her heart, Doris Roberts, Eric Roberts. I mean, just a whole list of luminaries. And um, um, the scene is opposite the writer, director, producer, for, uh, Frank D'Angelo. So, um, uh, so that's coming out, I think they said in March in Canada. What's it about? Uh, well, it's, it's a... Um, um, Oh, God, it's kind of a plot line. I didn't get a log line here. Um, 
a kidnapping. And it's kind of like who who did it and why. And um, Michael Proye plays a senator. I play his mistress. Um, very interesting. Um, and, and the way uh, Frank works is totally new to me. It was like, wow, uh, this is this is great. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. It was, so I had a really good time doing it. What was it and, like working with Chris Christopherson? Do you share any scenes? I don't, but he was... Um, no, I don't, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, my ex-father-in-law directed him in Millennium. Ah. Yeah, so I've got that connection. But, well, I you know, did... I unfortunately don't have my scenes with him, just with, with Frank and uh, Michael. Because it, it's but, remarkable. Uh, I don't know if he... If... Chris Christopherson, if you were on set, I happened to talk to him at all. But I just recently, I read an article, I'm not sure if it was in um, Rolling Stone magazine, because Christopherson, uh, I believe, was, you know, had sort of semi-retired to Hawaii, and his mind mm-hmm. was starting to fail, and they thought it was Alzheimer's. Oh, and, I, I didn't hear and then all, that. He had this remarkable recovery. His, wow. And he's, he's back, and he's actually, you know, a, a touring in a limited fashion and recording songs again. And uh, Yes, he's actually going to be at a pre-Grammy party uh, here in L.A. this week that I'm going to go to. So I intend to, to say hello. Oh, well, he's, he, you know, a living legend, to be sure. Oh, for sure. And what, for sure. And what about uh, uh, James Caan, one of my favorite actors? And my, my little guy, my, my twin boys love him because he's in their favorite movie, Elf. I, I wish I had a chance to meet him, too. No, I, I didn't have any scenes with Mr. Khan, but um, man, yeah, what a dynamic person and, and uh, actor. Yeah, um, some really, really good talent in this. And Ellen Dubin from um, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also in, in, in the film. Um, great supporting role in there. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. Cool. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll be heading into a break shortly, but we'll get this, this conversation started now and we'll follow up afterwards. But I just wanted to talk about uh, you know, your interest in the, the, all things metaphysical and the paranormal, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you had uh, a, a reading with uh, medium Jonathan Edward, and, uh, but you've also mm-hmm. had psychic readings with Joan Dixon. And, and uh, wh- wh- where did that all begin, your interest in, in um, the, the paranormal? When I was a kid, um, I, I had, um, I, called, I called them flyaway experiences. I didn't know it was astral projection. And I used to go visit my grandparents' house. And I would tell my brother about, you know, hey, I was at Grandma and Grandpa's last night. And he goes, yeah, right, you know, kids, you know, like <laughs> sister's a loon. And um, so, but that kept happening over the course of my life. And I would hear um, voices calling, <laughs> like I'm schizophrenic, but um, calling my name. And when that happened, uh, there would be something happening with the family. It's like I was being warned or they were trying to tell me something. Um, I had this fascination when I heard about Jean Dixon, and when I think it was in fifth grade, I read um, Ruth Montgomery, I believe, wrote the book about Jean Dixon. I was fascinated with the palmistry and everything. So I started learning palmistry. And then I learned that my little flyaways were astral projection. And I, I, thought, I was just, fa- just absolutely fascinated with anything and everything about it, UFOs, all this metaphysics stuff. And um, throughout my life, I've had major um, uh, spiritual experiences, and I would uh, seek out psychics and um, places like Harmony Grove in Escondido, near California. It's like a, a village where psychics live, and it's a whole community. And I, um, psychics kept telling me I had a gift to heal. And my dad, had, we felt, had this gift. He had a headache or something, he put his hand on the forehead, gone. 
And my grandmother was very psychic, and she would tell me about experiences that she had when she was uh, young. And so I felt I kind of inherited that. So I learned to read cards. I learned to read poems. Um, I was very accurate to a point where it was really scary, and I stopped doing it for a while. But I would have um, dreams that um, I would, um, you know, premonition dreams, very lucid dreams. And um, throughout my life, you know, it still happens. So, um, and to the point it was so real that I, I, um, I remember my, my dad, there was, we were driving the car as a family, and I must have been 10 years old or something. And this kid, the ball went into the street, the kid went after the ball, my dad, you know, hard brake in the car, and he kind of tapped the kid to where the kid fell down. And I knew that, that we were going to take him to the hospital. I, I, I saw it, like, I said, oh, Daddy, that, that's, yeah, you're going to take him to the hospital, and this is what's going to happen. And, I, and they, like, what? <laughs> so I realized that, no, that was something that I dreamed that I knew was going to happen. Those are scary when that happens. Y- yeah. <laughs> Listen, we'll take a time out. On the other side, more of my conversation with Marina Anderson, David Carradine, the eye of my tornado. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Actress, author Marina Anderson is uh, with us. And her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. She was married to the uh, late Kung Fu actor from 1998 to 2001 and is uh, really credited for getting him on the, uh, the straight and narrow and really resurrecting his career. Uh, after they met on the site of Kung Fu, the legend continues here in Toronto in the late 90s. And, of course, then she went on to uh, introduce uh, David uh, to director Quentin Tarantino. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. David would go on to star in Kill Bill. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately, sadly, David passed away in a uh, under rather uh, unsavory... Uh, on the surface, it appeared to be... Uh, uh, Auto asphyxia or auto um, erotic asphyxia, uh, but uh, Marina continues to believe to this day that David, in fact, was murdered. Uh, was found hanging in the uh, closet in a hotel in Bangkok. Um, we were talking about uh, astral projection, among other things. Had, have you, Marina? Have you ever seen your 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 astral body, your soul body? Uh, n- n- no, my experience with the astral projection is. Um, uh, I haven't looked back at myself. It's always I'm somewhere else or in my room or that kind of thing. Um, no, I haven't uh, done, done that one yet. Maybe I'm afraid to do that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that, that, I mean, you can't. Can you do it at will, or does it just sort of happen when it happens? It just happens when it happens. Um, it, it's not, I haven't been able to do it at will because I still find it kind of scary. So I'm a little timid to. to every once in a while, I'll try it, but. Um, uh, no, it, it just let it happen. Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of smiling here because it's it's kind of startling when it does happen. I I can imagine. I uh, I've told this story a number of times on on the program, but I uh, oh, 30 years ago, just after my father was buried, he had he died on New Year's Eve, 1986, and then a few days after he was buried, uh, I was um, I just woke up in the middle of um, very early in the morning, maybe three o'clock in the morning. I have no idea what time it was. It was pitch black in uh, my, my mother's uh, uh, basement. I had a bedroom down there. And I opened my eyes, and um, I had the sense that there was someone in the room, and I had uh, uh, no idea. My mother and I were the only ones in the house. And I uh, closed my eyes. Oh, when I opened my eyes again, there was this specter hovering above me, sort of horizon- hmm. uh, horizontal, so uh, its head pointed at my head and its feet down towards my feet. And then when I looked into its face, it was me. I, I was seeing my own doppelganger. Oh, I would totally freak me out. Yeah. But you know what? I, uh, I thought it would me too, but I was, I was not scared. I was just really confused. Wow. I just had wow. no idea what was going on. And I've talked to different people. You know, was that my father's uh, spirit assuming my form so as not to frighten me? Was it my astral body? Um, Whatever it was, yeah, that's my one and only paranormal experience. Whoa, very interesting. That's actually listening to it. It sounds really cool, but like I said, I think that would totally freak me out if that happened to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of used to seeing other things, um, spirits and that kind of thing, and hearing them and that that kind of experience. I've been in haunted houses and things happen. In fact, the the, the house that I lived in with David was haunted. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Um, it was the house that we um, we we bought in Tarzana, mm-hmm. not too far from where I am now. And um, uh, David was out. Uh, he was out of town on location. I was moving things in, and um, I was walking down the hall with a box. And I was in a hurry, and I ran around the corner. And I just as I looked up, I went through what I perceived as an American Indian. Oh my. <laughs> And I found out later that the house in the neighborhood was built on burial grounds, American Indian burial grounds, because it was Tarzana, named after uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs of Tarzan. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yes. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, another time uh, I was in my office, which is on the other end of the house, and I heard these uh, footsteps coming down the hallway. And I said, David, I'm in here. I'm in the office. And I didn't hear anything. And the footsteps and the footsteps disappeared. I went, what? kind of weird. So I got out of the office and and Thunder, who's David's dog, was down at the other end of the hall in front of David's office. Well, if David had come out of the room, Thunder wouldn't have been there. He would have been in the hallway. So that's weird. So I went down the hallway, opened up the door, and there's David in his room smoking away and on his computer. And I went, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't in the hallway, right? He goes, no, no, why? It was just the weirdest thing. I, these footsteps that came down the hall, and yeah, it wasn't David. <laughs> Somebody else. And and that encounter uh, when you walked through the uh, this apparition of uh, yeah. what you describe as an American Indian was. Were there other incidents? Um, and by the way, it was a warm feeling. It wasn't like one of those chilling, cold uh, room kind of things. It was felt really warm, and I felt actually very comforted. Um, I felt protected. Um, and there was yet another time uh, moving out after David had moved out, and I was sitting in the living room and looking out to the backyard, 
and I there was this man in the yard with uh, some kind of a jumpsuit on, and he, I could see him going to the end of the yard and disappearing into the foliage. Oh, what? Because the gate was always locked and everything, so I went out and there was nobody there. Hmm. So yeah, um, it was interesting. I was glad to get out of there. Actually, I didn't think the, the house had good karma at all. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back and uh, delve further into the paranormal experiences of one Marina Anderson. Don't go away. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Marina Anderson stays with us. Actress, voiceover artist, writer, producer, makeup artist, acting coach, personal manager, career consultant, author. Her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. Um, basically a, um, a memoir of her relationship with the late David Carradine, star of uh, Kung Fu, Kill Bill. And um, we were talking about some of your paranormal experiences. Uh, you mentioned UFOs. Uh, have you had, you know, I have never, it's funny because I do, I do a program that's devoted to talking about the paranormal and conspiracies, of course, but outside of the one paranormal event I recounted, I've I've not had a UFO sighting ever, um, or anything like that. How about you? I've had one and I had a a witness with me, um, it was when I was in college and, uh, my boyfriend at the time, his name was Michael. Um, we were, um, in his backyard, um, just, you know, by the pool, it was nighttime, looking up at the stars, and um, we just like you know looking stargazing. Isn't it beautiful? And we're like, oh, look at that one! God, that's awfully big and bright. And it was still, and then it started to move. And oh, it must be a helicopter, a plane. No, a plane wouldn't like stop and then start. And then we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. It's like, yeah, it's too far away to be a helicopter, but it's awfully big, bright light. Okay, so it went like. Um, from a stop to a, a slow start, and then horizontal, and then stopped, and then just went straight up and disappeared. Within That all happened within, like, five seconds. And wow. we looked at each other and went, what? Or that was got to be a UFO. And then we heard the doorbell ring. Now, his mother was in the living room, and he's yelling to his mom to answer that somebody's out the door. And we didn't hear any door open, so we went back inside the house, and he said, well, somebody's at the door. She said, no, the door, no, doorbell didn't ring. We heard a doorbell. We kind of think that whatever, whatever happened, they made us think that the door to get us away out from, from being outside to look up again. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And my, now my dad was an aerospace engineer, designer, and he worked for Lockheed for years and years, and he would have, um, you know, dinner parties at my houses were growing up, and they were all um, into aerospace and that. And now my dad had a sighting, as did most of the people who he had over at the house. And there was this one person they talked about constantly who they said, now this is 
dating myself, God, um, in the late 50s. And um, this is before that, because they were talking about somebody that they had known and worked with years prior to that, who said that he was abducted, taken up into a UFO, and they showed him what I guess we now would think would be kind of like turbine, turbine engines right. kind of thing. And, but that was in the, the late 40s, early 50s when they were, said that happened, and that didn't come to fruition until well, how many years later? You know, a um, long time later. And, and these were all Lockheed Martin employees? Mm-hmm. My word. Well, yeah, very, very knowledgeable man, and, and they were talking about people in the Air Force and everything who had UFO sightings. And so I grew up with that atmosphere of it being accepted and nothing weird. Um, right. Um, and your father, when he worked with Lockheed Martin, did he have any dealings with the, sort of the experimental R&D arm of Lockheed, which was Skunk Works? No, no. He um, he designed, like, um, uh, part of the Polaris missile and the L-1011 and uh, the moonwalk and things like that. He was into the design area. Um, because... and, and he was an Imagineer for Epcot when he uh, just before he passed away. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Journey into the Imagination, right? He helped uh, design. And so it was. Then your the Canadian comes from your mother's side. No, actually, oh. it was um, Michael Anderson Jr. and I uh, were married. His dad and Adrian, his wife, um, most beautiful people. I just talked with them on the phone the other day. It was his birthday. Um, they uh, they sponsored us to to come up and write for his company. So because um, I you know, I write Michael and write is a wonderful scriptwriter and. So we, we started to develop projects for his company, and um, and we divorced, and I stayed because I loved Toronto, and, and I, was, I started working a lot, national commercials and all those TV shows, and I just loved Toronto. So, uh, so I stayed for so, a long time. <laughs> uh, that's where the dual, dual citizenship comes in. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. uh, I wanted to just follow up on, on your father and, and Lockheed Martin. I was mentioning Skunk Works and... Uh, the, the guy that headed up Skunk Works, I guess late 70s into the mid-80s, guy by the name of Ben Rich once commented that we now have the technology to send E.T. home. Uh, mm. And so I'm just wondering, I wanted to get your take on the idea that a lot of what we call UFOs may in fact be advanced U.S. aircraft, maybe even developed by Lockheed Martin or Skunk Works. Oh, they could, they they could be developed by anybody. I mean, that that's a definite. I think it's a definite possibility. I I do personally think that there are other visitors that come to us, but um, yeah, with the technology that we have, I have no doubt that some of it could be our very own. You know, right out of our own backyard, so to speak. Yeah, I I'm of the mind. I think probably ninety percent of the so-called unexplained. I mean, once you rule out everything else, is probably. Air, advanced advanced aircraft, sort of black ops developed aircraft. Mm, hmm. I mean, it it could be. They're, obviously, they're not about to tell us. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, um, I guess they don't think we can handle the truth. <laughs> well, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The whole dis- UFO disclosure movement, mm-hmm. uh, which just seems to be spinning its wheels. Obama was supposed to be the disclosure president, and and. Uh, they thought Bill Clinton might be the disclosure. I don't think we'll ever have a disclosure. Yeah, probably not. Um, it, it would be really cool if we if we did, though, wouldn't it? Um, I just saw the movie Arrival, which totally fascinated me. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really into wanting to find out the truth, you know. Um, is it both? Is it one? What is it? Um, 
But like I said, I, I definitely believe that there's other planets out there and other developed beings um, that kind of look at us and go, boy, do they need some help. <laughs> well, my concern is they might just look at... Too involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another area I wanted to explore with you, uh, because when when we met uh, out in L.A., you introduced uh, Jalal and I to uh, Rosalind Bruyere, oh, the yes. healer. Yes. Uh, because we were working on an episode for my TV show, and we did an we did an episode on energy healing, mm-hmm. and so you set up an appointment with uh, with uh, with Rosalind Bruyere. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with her and 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 the whole field of energy healing? Um, well, like I said, I long when I was you know very very young, I was told by psychics that I had this gift, and um, but there wasn't any place to learn it, you know, just kind of like my hands on people. So um, I had um, some fender benders I was going to chiropractors for, and I mentioned it to one guy, I said, you know, there's got to be some other alternative to this. He said, well, there's this uh, school in uh, Glendale called the Healing Light Center. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, um, they have classes and this and that, and you can learn how to, you know, channel energy and heal. I went, oh, where do I sign up? And um, so I did. I enrolled at her school. I stayed there for like a solid three years. I mean, you learned anatomy. I mean, it was, it was a school school. It wasn't like this hocus-pocus kind of, oh, you know, yeah. kumbaya stuff. On the back of a matchbook cover. Right, right. And um, I got into her classes personally, and um, uh, it just kind of, you know, went from there. And, and then, of course, with, you know, life happening, it I, you know, kind of had to back off in the classes because I was traveling a lot and went back and forth. But um, that's who, who I really studied with. But mind you, I, on the side, I got my Reiki master and that, all that kind of stuff, too. But it's really Rosalind that um, I learned um, everything, the foundation and, and, and all of that. And it was a phenomenal experience. Um, she's the real deal. What's, what's the most remarkable thing you've seen uh, Rosalind uh, do in terms of energy healing? Uh, well, in class, she would she would channel a couple uh, people. One in particular, Doctor Johnson, and um, she used me as one of the examples. I had recently got some X-rays of my back and uh, wanted to show them to her, but I, I didn't, and I kind of hid the X-rays. And so I sat in the middle of the group and um, my back to her, and she put her hands up and down my spine. I could feel her hand, and and then. Um, I felt like a, on a couple of my vertebrae, like cool, and I said, "Oh yeah, that feels nice and cool, and you know the the pain is kind of going away." And and, um, and she stepped around to the front. It wasn't her; she didn't have her hands, but it still felt like her hands were there. And then she proceeded to tell me exactly what vertebrae and everything, and it was verbatim pretty much what was in the X-ray report. That's remarkable. Yeah, That's remarkable. That was pretty cool. They're yeah. starting to incorporate a little bit of this into regular hospitals, aren't they? Yes. Actually, a lot of the courses now um, are, are nursing credits they offer for um, healing. Of, they have certain terms for it. But, um, but yes, it's, it's learning to channel energy and lay hands on people, and it's a, a therapeutic touch, I think they call it. And um, they can get nursing credits for that, for their education and towards uh, their nursing degrees. Yeah. What do you think of uh, God of John down there in Brazil? Do you think he's legit? Do you know God, of God of John? I I have uh, heard of him and I've seen some things online. I 
that's one thing I would like to experience personally. It's hard to tell online. You know what I mean? It's um, it all seems impressive, but then again, I don't know. Um, there's a part of me that says, like, I don't believe it, and then there's the part of me that goes, well, why not? You know, um, I, I, I really don't have an, a set opinion on that because I, I still need more information and experience on. You're you're from Missouri on that one. Yeah, I'm from Missouri on that one. <laughs> Got to show me on that one a little bit more. <laughs> What's coming up next for you, Marina? Um, I'm working on some children's books. Um, I got my first one almost ready to, to go and try and find a publisher. I might self-publish, I don't know. But um, So that's, that's my, um, it makes me smile. You know, the business is uh, very difficult, the entertainment business. And um, it's not like it used to be, as everybody's kind of complaining, unless you've got a series. So uh, I found another love, and that is um, writing inspirational children's books. So that's where I'm, I'm putting my focus. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm still, you know, working at keeping myself open to listening to, I say, the messages. And it's a lot of what was in my book is to help explain that to other people. It's um, the message of, of, like when David passed away, the week that he passed away and the funeral was coming up, and I wasn't invited to the funeral. And it was hard for me to, to grasp that he was really gone. And I was at the gas station. I was really heavily thinking about this whole thing. And I, and I said out loud, I can't believe you're, you're gone, David. I, this is just too weird. And his nickname for me was Blackie. And John, I looked Johnny up, and Blackie. Yes. And I looked up, and there was a car that, like, parked in front of me. It was a black car. And the license plate, I swear, <laughs> I swear to the guy, it read, R-Y-L, real dead. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I was, you know, um, it, it was just like, I don't, it, was, it was like an epiphany to me. And, um, but I was still very, feeling very um, upset over not being able to attend the funeral. So I, I said to a girlfriend and my cousin, I said, we're going to Dan Tana's restaurant. It was my home away from home. Um, this is where David announced our engagement. Um, I'm going to do my own little thing. So we're sitting outside having our cappuccino, watching the celebrities go on in and out. And there was this uh, gentleman who came out for a smoke, and I knew him from years, but I didn't know really who he was. I just, you know, one of the Dan Tanner regulars. And um, there was a, a vendor, a woman selling flowers, and he bought this rose from her. And he walked over to me and handed me the rose. And I went, Oh, you, you heard about my ex. I'm, that was just so sweet of you. He said, no, what, what about your ex? And I explained. And he goes, no, I just had this motivation to buy you a rose. And I went, that is just this. And I noticed his wedding ring. And I said, well, sh- why don't you give it to your wife? Um, he said, no, I, I feel this, this really needs to go to you. Wow. And I said, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm kind of going through something here. And And I said, I know you, but I don't know you. What is your name? David. Ha ha, there you go. There you go. On that note, Marina. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Thank you so much for hanging out with me for the last hour. Thank you. Great to connect with you again. This is wonderful. Thanks, Richard. Marina Anderson, David Carradine, the eye of my tornado. Back with more next week. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. 
Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.